0: I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm so delighted you've joined me tonight as we seek to turn this studio into a sanctuary and worship the living God. Jesus said, humankind does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. For that understanding, we have our worship this evening. My name is Hal Brady and I want to welcome you and thank you for joining me. Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians Chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Would you hear, please, the Word of God? If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each one of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also hath highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please now for a word of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. There used to be a good game called King of the Hill. In that game, you would run up a little hill or a pile of dirt and you would proclaim, I'm the king of the hill, nobody can take me. But at that moment, your friends and others would start running up the hill trying to push you off. Everybody knew that there could be only one king of the hill. So many adults play the same game. These adults seek to accumulate, to advance, to control, to intimidate, to do all of these kind of things. But the Apostle Paul said, we've got it all backward. We've got it all wrong. What did he say? This is what he said. Let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul was concerned that certain rivalries were destroying the peace and harmony and unity of the Philippian church. Many people, were stressing their own disputes and their self-exaltation. So consequently, Paul urged them to begin with, to live in harmony with the gospel, to live in harmony with Christ and in the love and the spirit of Christ. That's what he was encouraging them to do. And he did that out of, hopefully, their relationship with Jesus. So Paul said, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. What Paul means is, he wants us to adopt the spirit of Jesus the attitude of Jesus, the disposition of Jesus. Personally, and properly understood, the Christian life is something of a reproduction and a reliving of the life of Jesus Christ himself. And of course, that means adopting his attitude, his spirit, and his disposition. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, said Paul. Tonight, we want to look at the mind of Christ and what that has to do with each of us. First of all, the mind of Christ results in humbling oneself voluntarily, humbling oneself voluntarily. Clarence Forsberg was a great minister, and he described years ago going to the annual assembly of the American Booksellers Association. At that particular gathering, they were promoting many books, one of which was the autobiography of Muhammad Ali, appropriately entitled, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Well, Muhammad was being his usual obnoxious self, and a sports writer said, when you said that, do you mean that you are the greatest, or do you mean you are the greatest person? Muhammad Ali said, no, what I mean is, I'm the greatest boxer. I'm the greatest boxer of all time. And so the writer pushed him further. He said, well do you think in 50 years these people will be saying you're the greatest boxer of all time? He said, no, in 50 years everybody in this room will be dead. And he said, they're not going to remember that I was the greatest boxer of all time unless I do something to help and aid my people. At that point, Muhammad Ali had it correct. Hear me now. Taking on the mind of Christ results in humbling oneself voluntarily. The Son of God did not stand on his right. He did not claim his prerogative to be God. In other words, he gave up his glorious life for us and our salvation. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, which is ultimately the greatest humiliation that one could have. But it didn't start at the cross. Jesus was always doing the humbling thing. Let's go back at the beginning. God gave himself up and he came in the form of Jesus. Jesus came into the world. He left heaven and came to earth. He was born in a stable, not a palace. He never had a home as long as he lived on the earth. He never had a home. Jesus himself had a parade. He was the central character of the parade, but he was so humbling, even in the parade. Consequently, that parade became a second-rate parade. For instance, there were no Arabian horses. There were no royal robes, regalia, he simply had on the robe that probably his mother had made for him. There were no special guests at that parade, no mayors, no television personalities, none of those people were there. Only children and disciples and others, they lined the streets and they cheered for him, but then he embarrassed them. How did he embarrass them? He made this statement about Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you, but you would not. You would not. And not many days later, we see him stooping down and washing the feet of his disciples. And now, now we see him dying, but not just dying, dying on a cross, which is the greatest humiliation. Here it was that his life began in the glories of heaven and its ending in the depths of humiliation on the cross. Again, I want you to understand the descent of his life. Christ Jesus existed in the form of God. He did not clutch equality with God. He emptied himself. He took the form of a slave. He became a man. He humbled himself, even to the point of death and the death on the cross. As I said, something that began so gloriously ended with such great humiliation on the cross. So, what prompts humility within me? What prompts humility within you? How can we voluntarily humble ourselves? We can only do it if we have gratitude for what Christ has done for us in that he sought to bring us to salvation, to bring us to salvation. The young soldier was not even aware that he was on the camera. The young soldier was simply standing there in the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. He was in deep contemplation. He was looking at the names of the American soldiers who had died in Vietnam on the black granite. He was simply moving his hand across the name of one of them, and he was simply saying, he died for me. And then tears welled up in his eyes as he continued to run his hand across his friend's name. He died for me. He died for me. Dr. John Killinger said, when he was moving from a six-year pastorate in Lynchburg, Virginia, he said one of his parishioners, who was a librarian, came to him and said, I'd like to have a word with you and give you a word of advice. She said, talk about Jesus. Concentrate on Jesus. When you talk about Jesus, different things happen. Something happens unusual. Now, you can talk about many things, and you do well talking about all of these things. But she says, you need to talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Because when you talk about Jesus, all of these other things don't seem to amount to too much. The truth of the matter is, an humble heart, a heart of thanksgiving, always is humble. When a heart is thankful, it's always humble. Now I want you to think about this. Think about what Jesus could have taken when he was in the world. He could have conquered the world by force. God had given him all the power. He could have conquered the world by doing the sensational. Didn't Satan say to him, Go up on the pinnacle of that temple and jump off. And don't worry about it because the angels are going to be in charge of you and they will protect you lest your foot hit a stone. And then he could have used his power to put bread in a hungry world. People will always follow somebody who can give them bread. But he didn't do any of these things. What did he choose? He chose a towel. Jesus was a servant, he was not ashamed to be a servant and that's something all of us need to grapple with. You remember what he said, let the same mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. And then secondly, the mind of Christ involves putting the interest of others above our own interest. Now, Paul was very clear about this. I want you to hear again this third and fourth verse of our text. Listen to what he says Paul says do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility regard others as better than yourselves let each one of you look not to your own interests but to the interest of others. Now to understand what Paul is saying here we need to come to some kind of understanding of what he thought humility really was. Humility is not the result of low self-esteem. There are people in this world that would have us focus solely on our unworthiness. They would have us focus on just being a worm. But we need to understand real humility is not beating ourselves down. Real humility is simply recognizing with ourselves and with others that the things we do that are halfway decent are the result of the grace of God and not due to any proudness of our own. And then humility is not comparing ourselves with others. It's not comparing ourselves with others. God created every one of us in a unique way. We are one of a kind. There is nobody else exactly like us. With our same background, our same family, our same thoughts, our same dreams and goals, there's nobody else like us. Each one of us is a great part of the majesty of God. The majesty of God. We are God's masterpiece. Some years ago, somebody called me. They knew I was an SAE at Georgia in that fraternity and they wanted me to recommend their son for the rush that year. I was happy to do it because I knew that was a good boy. But let me tell you, I would not only have recommended him, I would have recommended anybody else because all of us are unique masterpieces of God. Every one of us is unique and different. Do you know in the Lion King, there is a moment in that picture when Simba decides... He makes a really delicate decision. He decides he's not going to be the king. He had watched his father die, and he felt guilty, and so he had run away. But then his father, in a vision, says something like this to Simba. He says, you have forgotten me. Simba says, no, I haven't forgotten you. I love you. I miss you. But then God said to him, you have forgotten who you are. Consequently, you have forgotten me. Beloved, when we compare ourselves to other people, we have forgotten who we are, and we really have forgotten him in the process. And then humility is a discipline. It's a discipline. Now, humility is not some disposition that some people have, and other people have egomania. That's not what it is at all. Humility is a discipline. It is a character trait that has to be learned. And good parents at home Help us with this more than you know. How does Peter put it in the first epistle? He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. What he's saying is, humility is not something you have. Humility is something you learn. It's something you do. We have to make ourselves humble, in other words. Two FBI agents were talking in the book, Mississippi Burning. And one of them said, you're a bad influence on me, Mr. Anderson. The other says, somebody's got to be, Mr. Ward. He said, because there's nothing more inseparable in all the world than a perfect person. There's nothing more insufferable than all the world than a perfect person. So, if we're going to be humble, we have to learn to be humble. General Robert E. Lee, after the war, he went and settled in Lexington. He had a wonderful house, and he would entertain visitors from the north who would come to see him. And these visitors from the north always had house servants. And they thought he had house servants too. So when they would go to bed at night, you know what they would do? They would take off their boots and take off their shoes and leave them outside the door so they could be cleaned and polished. They thought the servants would come do that during the night. Well, General Lee didn't have any servants. But he didn't want these people from the north to be embarrassed. So each one of these nights, General Lee himself would pick up the boots and the shoes and clean them and blacken them. That's humility. That's humility. That was a newspaper man by the name of William Allen White. William Allen White was considered the Dean of American newspaper people. He was asked to come to Columbia University. They wanted to give him an honorary degree. So he was standing in line next to another guy and this other guy seemed to be just standing there. That was all. He wasn't doing anything, just standing. He seemed to be kind of humble. So Mr. White turned to him and said, you know, we've got to be friends. He said, I'm a small town newspaper man from Peoria, Kansas, and my name is White. The other fella looked at him and he said, I'm a small town uh, person from another town and I'm a physician and my name is Mayo. Isn't that wonderful? Whenever we are to compare ourselves with others and to deal with others, we're supposed to be looking at the example of Jesus Christ. That's what he told us to do. Let Jesus Christ be your example as to how you live. Now, somebody had a marvelous imagination. They imagined how it was with Jesus in the upper room with his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. This is what they imagined. Jesus was talking to them and Jesus said something like this. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, that you love one another. And he said, by this love, All men will know that you are my disciples. All men will know that you are my disciples. So, here's what the disciples responded to Jesus. This is what they said. Simon Peter said, do we have to write this down? Andrew said, will this be on the next test? James said, something like this, does the spelling count? Philip said, do you have to know it word for word? Matthew said, when do we get out of here? John said, does this apply to all of us? Thomas said, I doubt this is going to work. Judas said, why don't we get real? This is not real. And then we're told Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So if we're going to be humble people, we have to put the interest of others above our own interest. And then one other thing here, the mind of Christ means exalting God. It means exalting God. We're told in this scripture that every knee shall bend. So what happens? Sometimes we think in this world that we have bent our knees to God. And yet, if we are honest, we can see patterns in our lives that help us to realize that we haven't really and truly given and bended our knees to Christ in every area of our lives. To have the mind of Christ means if we look in these different areas of our lives and we try to ask ourselves, where should we submit ourselves to God now? Where should we submit ourselves to God now? I remember it was one of the coaches, one of the coaches of modern day era, Tony Dungy, and he said that the great coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landry, was one he looked to as his great example. Tom Landry was the former legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He said he was impressed with Landry not so much because of his won and lost record. He was impressed with him because he was never at the center of attention. He was never at the center of attention. He said, as a matter of fact, Coach Landry always made him think that he was shy. And yet he recognized that was his humility before God and others. And then he said, Tom Landry was not his own person. He didn't live life for himself. He lived life in submittance to the God he followed. What else can we say about this man? This particular man had the, the motto and the philosophy, everything is beautiful and getting more beautiful all the time. How do we account for this man who on Christmas Eve and other nights during Christmas would dress up like Santa Claus and patrol the streets of Dallas, Texas? How else do we explain this man who would stop in institutions at homes and go make people feel better during the season of the year? How else do we explain this man this man who would go into the hospital at midnight to visit his friends to be sure they were being treated well. How do we explain this man who loved people and would do anything for them at any time? How do we explain this fellow who would hug people with a great grin and had a marvelous sense of hospitality? We have to finally look at him and say he was not his own man. He was one who submitted to the God he followed, to the God he followed. So the question I wanna ask you as we sort of bring this to a conclusion, is this question, in what area of our life do we need to bow, submit ourselves to God? In what area of our life do we need to bow before and submit ourselves to God? Now here are a number of possibilities and I just wanna mention them. First of all, there's the area of idols. Anything we put before God is an idol. There's an area of discipline. Most of our spiritual problems result from a lack of discipline. There is the area of attitude. So many of us just do not believe that God is the God of the great possibility. We don't believe that God can do the things that the scripture says he can do. And then there's the area of trust. How do we actually turn loose our own understanding and grasp of things to simply rely on God? And then there's the area of you name it. And what area do you need to bow before God at the moment? What was it that Paul said? He said, let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we're so grateful for this passage of Scripture that reminds us of the holiness and yet the humanhood of our Lord Jesus. We're grateful, O God, for what he means to us, for what he means to others. We are grateful for the powerful truth of the Word of God that proclaims what He means. We pray, O God, You'd open our lives to receive Him again and again and again. We ask that You would use us to empower others to be Your people and to know the one we know is life. It's in His name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining me tonight. I'm so glad you worshiped with us, and I trust the Word and the music has been beneficial. God bless. Take care. Good night
1: is great and small